Let us join together in prayer. Let us pray. Spirit of wisdom, be our guide as we listen for God's word speaking in the scriptures. When we are puzzled, grant us clarity. When we resist hearing your word, open our hearts and renew our understanding through the grace of Christ, God's living word. Amen. I'd like to invite Andrea up to read this morning's scriptures. Good morning. The first reading is from the Old Testament, Zechariah, chapter 9, reading verses 9 to 12. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he. Humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot of Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope, Today, I declare that I will restore you to double. The next reading is responsive from the Old Testament, Psalm 145, reading verses 8 to 17. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his compassion is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your faithful shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. To make known to all people your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, satisfying the desire of every living thing. The Lord is just in all ways and kind in all his doings. The third reading comes from the New Testament, from Romans chapter 7, reading verses 15 through to 25. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not know what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that the good does not dwell within me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do the good lies close at hand, but not the ability. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, 
but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched person that I am, who will rescue me from the body of death? Thanks be to the God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I am enslaved to the law of God, but with my flesh, I am enslaved to the law of sin. The last reading comes from the New Testament, Luke chapter 24, reading verses 44 to 53. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the pictures, or the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my father promised, so stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. Thanks be to the Lord. O Lord, our God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you this day and always. Amen. Imagine for a moment if life had a yellow brick road, a well-maintained, clearly defined, brightly colored yellow brick road, so well-maintained that it was the smoothest road you have ever walked on, having no chance of tripping on a slightly raised brick, so clearly defined that you cannot possibly miss it, even if you had the worst eyesight imaginable, and so brightly colored that it had a bit of a shine to it in the sunlight, and even in the middle of a dark and stormy night, you could still make out that path amongst all the chaos. For those of us that are familiar with the 1939 film, The Wizard of Oz, or perhaps you read the book that the film was based on, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, part of the core of that story involves the character Dorothy following a yellow brick road to find the wizard who resides in the Emerald City. In the film, the yellow brick road is highlighted with the use of Technicolor. While it's not the first film to do so, it is certainly remembered in pulp culture history. If, like Dorothy, we had a yellow brick road, where would it take us? Would it take us to where we want to go? Could we forego the GPS and simply follow the yellow brick road? Would it take us to all sorts of wonderful places filled with curiosity, amazement, or marvels to gaze upon? Would it take us along a, a magical journey filled with learning and experiences all neatly wrapped up in the comfort and safety of a well-defined path? 
And when we come to a crossroads like Dorothy did just as she met the scarecrow, will we have a friend to point us in the right direction? Or perhaps it wouldn't matter which direction we took because all the roads would lead us right to where we needed to be. Do we sometimes think that our lives as Christians sounds so straightforward? To simply believe in Jesus, follow his teachings, go to church every Sunday, and that's it. We are taught that as Christians, we believe in a God that is good. And if we follow God, we follow that which is good. When we look at God's goodness, do we see that goodness within ourselves? Some of you are probably thinking yes. Thinking of all of the good deeds that we do, some people might say no. Thinking of all the bad things in their lives that they do. Some people might be confused because they try to weigh the balance of the good and the bad, and they fail to come up with an answer. And some people stay silent because they don't know the answer. Or perhaps they don't want to know the answer. And yet others may think that the question is simply absurd, arguing that there is no goodness within ourselves outside of God. And no matter what response you think for yourself, we acknowledge that there is no straightforward answer. And if you think that there is, you need to re-examine yourself. Because today, we are looking at the contrasting strip scriptures of Romans and Luke. In Romans, we have the testimony of an individual who is lost in the confusion of their own actions. And in Luke, we have Jesus opening the minds of the disciples to the scriptures, allowing them to witness all that he does. When the answer seems well, pretty obvious, much like Dorothy's answer was pointed out to her in such an obvious manner. We, too, have our straightforward answer, Jesus. But unlike Dorothy, the path to the answer is not so laid out plainly. Despite our access to scripture and doctrine, and after so many tools developed over thousands of years, we still get lost. We see the testimony in Romans chapter 7. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not want what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Do we confess within ourselves that we do the very thing we hate? Do we reject that which is not love? Bigotry, homophobia, racism, misogyny, xenophobia, judgment? Or do we sometimes find ourselves in that moment, instinctually so, sometimes we don't consciously think about it, but it just pops into our heads. Those moments of distaste for that which is not like ourselves. Do we do the very thing we hate? Romans continues, For I know that the good does not dwell within me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do good lies close at hand, but not the ability. 
And some people aren't even that lucky because they find that their desire for good becomes twisted, promoting their own righteous cause. Too often we hear stories of hatred for the other. Too often are we bombarded with stories of fear, violence, and all that stems from the root of that which is not good. And when we put in place the residential school system, we told ourselves that we were doing the Lord's work, that it was a good thing to separate children from their families because we know better. We know the path that they should be on, and we can bring them there. We can bring them to Jesus. And as a country, we spent over 120 years on the school system alone, let alone the hundreds of years prior, convincing ourselves that what we were doing was right so that we could shape the next generation of Indians into our own likeness. It is entirely possible, most likely probable, that a man stood where I am standing today, here and now, and thought that exact thought, that what we were doing was the right thing. And when we hear stories of people using fear and hatred and violence to further what they see as a righteous cause, do we not stop and ask ourselves, where is the path that Christ has laid out for us? When we hear stories of women being silenced or individuals who do not conform to our way of love, what happens to them? Where is their path to God? Where is our path to God? Is our path laid out before us by God? Or do we follow the path that was forged by those who came before us, from those who have been worshiping here as a congregation for over 236 years? Is it forged by those whose tradition predates ours? Is it forged by God or by human hands? Too often we use the excuses of tradition and that's the way it's always been done. A statement that someone from my generation really does look down upon. Because that's the way it's always been done, has been justified to do a number of atrocities. And when we use it so casually, sometimes we don't think about it. And when we use it to justify those actions which run contrary to the very essence of love, can we really call ourselves Christian? The Romans passage goes on to say, I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. The passage refers not just to the term members, meaning body parts like arms and legs, but also to our members, 
those people who make up our community and the community of this great planet Earth. We have this idea of love in our minds to accept those who come to this sanctuary seeking God, seeking peace, no matter the condition they come in. And yet this passage tells us as much as we can relate to this individual, that the minds of our community have this notion that we have this law of love, and yet what we see on the outside is the law of hate. Is our mouth at war with our mind? Is our inaction at war with our desires and our true desires to do good? Where do we justify the rejection we hand to those who seek God simply because they are not like us? Where do we justify the animosity we project onto those who want to open themselves to a community of faith and yet we look down upon them because of the way they look. And if you say to yourself, oh, that isn't me. I'm nice to people. I have a black friend. I hear that excuse a lot. We need to take a look, another look within ourselves because just like that testimonial in Romans, we are captive to the law of sin that dwells in our members. And sometimes we don't see it. And it makes it that much harder to admit that there is something wrong. And when we see our neighbors drenched in the law of sin and we do nothing to seek God's redemption, or what redemption we do seek sometimes can be a bit superficial. But when we truly go, when we truly listen, to God. Sometimes it can be life-altering, because eventually at one point in time, we closed that last residential school. It took us 120 years, but we did close it. Because eventually at one point in time, we agreed that women can finally hold positions of leadership at the church. This very church had a female minister standing in this pulpit. And yet there are some churches that haven't gotten there yet and even some still that are going backwards. And yet, many of us, we stay silent. Some of those points, we really need to reach out more. And some points that we thought that we made, turns out it's not even close. Wretched person that I am, that person writes, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will rescue us from this body of death? What is the answer we tell ourselves? 
Not the answer that is taught in Scripture, but the answer that we want to instinctually tell ourselves, the answer that justifies residential schools and segregation, the answer that justifies keeping women in their place, determined by men and the position we give ourselves to be hateful and violent towards those whose definition of marriage is not so singular. Do we tell ourselves that it's the church community, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that will rescue us? through pastoral care and missional outreach? Do we tell ourselves that it's the commandments of God that turns us away from the body of death? Or perhaps we envision as partners in our own salvation that our will be done because it happens to go along with God's. And then we turn to Luke. The contrast going from the confusion and the chaos to Jesus saying, you are witnesses of these things, referring to that which is written about him in the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, his suffering and resurrection, the repentance and forgiveness of sins being proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Jesus opens the disciples' minds to understand the scripture. He opens our minds to understand, and we must let him. To be a Christian is to follow that very teaching. To combat the anger and the hatred and the confusion that we find ourselves in or that we place ourselves in as Christians, we must look to Christ. We have no goodness of our own accord. For when we follow the path that we forge for ourselves and others, we see what happens. It leads to things like residential schools. It leads to things like women having to be desperate enough to fight for their right to vote in a democratic society or for members of the LGBTQ movement to be a bit more forceful in such simple things as being treated with dignity and respect. And especially those who seek Christ out of a true desire to be with a community of faith only to find their community of faith rejects them. We see what is happening now. And we see what will happen if we continue. Our goodness comes from Christ. It is sourced at the most perfect example of goodness. It is in his law, in his commandments, and his example that we are called to follow. But it isn't so straightforward to follow. There is no yellow brick road that leads us to Christ. We must stop. We must stop ourselves and simply pause where we are. We need to swallow our pride and ask for directions. In that moment of weakness where we think we have everything figured out, 
and then we come to realize that we don't, it is a very difficult thing to admit to ourselves, let alone to other people, when we need directions. Because the moment when we stop ourselves, the moment we stop leading ourselves with the human ideals of goodness, or our self-righteous cause is the moment where our relationship with Christ begins, truly begins. Because as human beings, we often like to pride ourselves on the seemingly good things we do in our lives. We help find something that someone's looking for, and we feel good for helping them. Or we answer a question to someone that we have great knowledge in, and we take pride in that memory and knowledge. And while we acknowledge that doing good things to help our neighbor isn't a bad thing, it's obviously encouraged to love thy neighbor. But we have to stop ourselves and determine what path are we taking when we do these good things? Are we doing these good things to make ourselves look good? Are we doing these good things because we perceive goodness as the expectations of others and of ourselves? Or are we doing these good things because Christ calls us to do these things, to feed the hungry, to visit the sick and imprisoned, to place ourselves in the wider world, to witness Christ amongst our members. And the tools at our disposal make that so much easier. And I'm not talking about the Facebook crusades of, if you don't share this, then you'll go to hell. I see that far too often on social media, where people post these vanity images saying, Look at me, I'm a Christian. I believe in Christ. Do you believe in Christ? They use those tools for their own devices. But when we have the tools to reach out to so many people around the world, in our own communities, in this very room, it is truly amazing what God has given us. Jesus tells us that we are witnesses, not just in the sense of witnessing Christ's words written in scripture, not just witnessing Christ in the words that I speak in worship that in, and that is in our hearts in prayer, but rather witnessing Christ within ourselves and others. A proactive witnessing that requires us to put aside the human values and standards that we are taught in society and history and instead seek that which Christ has laid out for us. We acknowledge that our society and history are a part of us. That's an inevitability of being human. There are traditions that carry us in our human lives. Some are inherently good, others not so good, and yet others more are neutral. And yet in these traditions, the traditions that carry the word of Christ into true actions of Christ, which carry us to God, those are the traditions where we find ourselves feeding the hungry. That is where we find Christ. In the tradition of visiting the sick and imprisoned, that is where we witness the life of Christ. Have we fed the hungry or visited the sick and imprisoned? And I'm not just talking about the physical, of actually going out to the Agape Center and 
working behind the kitchen to feed those in need, or visiting a hospital or a prison to pastorally care for people. But those who are emotionally hungry, spiritually sick, mentally imprisoned, have you reached out to those who feel like that testimonial that we saw in Romans, a wretched person that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? With my flesh I am enslaved to the law of sin, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Do we seek those people out and offer them the love of Christ? Or do we stay away from those out of a fear of their stature, or perhaps a fear of ourselves in the face of that internal imprisonment? Or have we grown too apathetic as a Christian community, staying within these four walls instead of going out there, physically going out there, or there, or there, or there, or any number of directions, and reaching out to people in the simplest of ways. But how do we get there? Where do we go? Ask Christ for directions. Which way to that which is written about you? The law of Moses? Maybe the prophets and the Psalms? How do we get ourselves to the death and the resurrection of Christ? How do we get ourselves to repentance and forgiveness of sins? We don't. We don't get ourselves through our own actions. It is Christ that directs us. But if we simply stand and do not move, if we do not let Christ direct us, then we will be enslaved to the body of death. Not just physically as a congregation, but spiritually, where our Christianity grows cold and forgets the sentiments of love and compassion. It is difficult to admit we are wrong, even more so when we ask others for help, for holding a dependence on someone that isn't ourselves, because we know ourselves best. And to place our trust in something that is not in ourselves is a difficult thing. Because nobody wants to feel dependent on anybody. And yet as Christians, it is the core of our belief to put our dependence on God. Christ opens our minds to understand the scriptures. He gives us these teachings freely, knowing that his path is laid out before us, not on a yellow brick road of human design, but on a path that might seem a bit dangerous, might be even hidden to our human eyes, is clear in the eyes of Christ. Jesus did not stutter when he said, love thy neighbor. He did not put conditions 
on that commandment. He did not say, love your white neighbor, love your male neighbor, love your Christian neighbor, love your straight neighbor. He simply said, love thy neighbor, full stop. He does not put his limitations on love, and neither must we. We must ask Christ to direct us on his path, to draw us off the human path that we build for ourselves. And yes, we will find ourselves back on that road time and time again, because who can resist that shiny, bright, straightforward path? But when we do find ourselves on that path, stop. Turn to Christ and ask for directions. And when we ask for directions, we do so not for just ourselves, but for all the nations. Because in Luke it says, repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. We are Jerusalem beginning with ourselves in seeking repentance and forgiveness, but simultaneously we are called to witness and forgive in Christ's name in all the nations, from Afghanistan to Zimbabwe, and any other nation in the future whose letters might step outside of those bounds, and any of those territories, and any of those places that exist on this planet Earth. But remember, it is not our own forgiveness that we are called to give, but rather it is Christ's forgiveness that we must bear witness, physically through our actions as well as spiritually within our perception of each other. Stop and ask Christ for directions because ultimately he will get you to where you need to be. Might be not where you want to be, but it's where you need to be. And it is much stronger than trying to figure out how to get there using your own sense of direction. Because as much as we want to have confidence in ourselves and our sense of direction compared to Christ, we are utterly lost. And the moment we stop and ask Christ to direct us to his blessing, the moment we put down the chaos of human fear and hatred, that is the moment where we begin to live with Christ and his call for us to live. Christ blesses us with his presence and we must allow him to guide us. Swallow your pride and admit it. We are lost. Let's ask Christ for directions because he will know the way. Thanks be to God. Amen.